What's up everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Da Vinci Cases. Alright, so the way this works is we've got a clinical case followed by a board style question. So we're going to go through the question stem, point out the relevant clinical findings, take a look at the question and the answer choices, and then kind of divert for a minute and go through the relevant concepts to answering the question. Then we'll come back and apply those concepts that we went over to answering the question. So this case is actually our 50th Da Vinci cases. Uh, and so to celebrate that, we actually want to offer a 50% off discount for all of our video courses and books on our website available through the end of March 25th. So for the next two and a half weeks or so, you can get 50% off any of our books or video courses using the code DC50. And this again ends uh, March 25th at 11.59 Eastern Standard Time. And so you can use that until that time. So be sure we'll provide the links and the uh, promo code in the, in the description below. Uh, we just want to thank everybody for continuing to follow this and, and watch these videos and listen to the audio. And uh, we're happy to bring this to you and we've got plenty more to come. So uh, let's just get into this 50th case here. Let's check it out. So this is a 66-year-old man with a past medical history of congestive heart failure, ischemic cardiomyopathy, previous myocardial infarction, hypertension, and diabetes. So significant cardiac history for sure here. So he presents to the emergency room with difficulty breathing for the past 24 hours. So he's had difficulty breathing uh, very acutely. This has only gone over the past uh, 24 hours. You right away, you're thinking this could be his heart failure uh, acting up because he's got a history of congestive heart failure. He's got a history of ischemic cardiomyopathy. Now, ischemic cardiomyopathy is basically where part of the heart is damaged, and that is likely due to his previous MI. So it's kind of a chain reaction. You know, the, the heart attack or myocardial infarction causes ischemia and, da and damages part of the heart. You develop ischemia, cardiomyopathy, then the heart doesn't pump as well, then that leads you to, to congestive heart failure, unfortunately. Again, he has these other risk factors for coronary artery disease, hypertension, diabetes. So difficulty breathing, you always, as well with history of MI, want to consider the history of MI as well. So his vitals in the ER are 37 degrees Celsius, so he's afebrile, heart rate is 101, so he's tachycardic. Blood pressure, 147 over 89, so he's definitely hypertensive. Respiration rate of 23, so that's fairly rapid. Uh, and then his O2 sat of 88%, so that's not good. You want to be over 95%. So we need to get this guy some supplemental oxygen, and hopefully get him over 95%, and then also figure out what's causing him to be hypoxic here. So his physical exam is notable for an S3 heart sound, which again is a heart sound you typically see when the heart is kind of overloaded. Uh, it's very common to hear that in patients with heart failure. Uh, you have bilateral crackles on lung auscultation. Crackles typically corresponds to fluid. So if this patient's in acute uh, decompensated heart failure, he uh, could have fluid backing up into his lungs, causing pulmonary edema, and that could be what we're hearing here. And then you got two plus bilateral pitting lower extremity edema. So this sounds like a pretty classic case for heart failure. The exam really helps you out here. You got the S3 kind of corresponding to the heart not pumping as well and getting uh, volume overloaded. The crackles signifying pulmonary edema. And then uh, the pinning edema in the legs, again, corresponds to fluid overload. So his labs are notable for a sodium of 143, which is actually normal. A potassium of 2.2, which is actually low. Normal is 3.5 to 5.0. And then a brain natriuretic peptide, or BNP, of 1,200. Remember, BNP is uh, released from the heart. 
when uh, the atrial myocytes get stretched out uh, and get volume overloaded, so it actually secretes BNP. So if something, if you know, you're chronically stretching these due to heart failure, uh, you're going to re be releasing a lot of BNP. So this can be used as a laboratory marker uh, per se of heart failure. So normal is less than 125. This guy's is 1200, so it's obviously pretty high. You can't go off BMP just alone. It's just another one of those things to kind of help confirm the clinical picture. Chest x-ray shows bilateral diffuse alveolar infiltrates, which is consistent with pulmonary edema. So that's consistent with what we're seeing on exam. And this is probably what the source of his difficulty breathing is. He's probably in heart failure, uh, decompensated heart failure. And then he's got pulmonary edema, which is probably limiting his ability to breathe and get, making him hypoxic. So they get an echocardiogram. This reveals a left ventricular ejection fraction of 32%. So he's definitely in left side of heart failure. The patient reports strict compliance with a low salt diet, which is really important in patients with heart failure so they don't get volume overloaded. Uh, he's also compliant with his medications, which include aspirin and atorvastatin. Aspirin and atorvastatin would be uh, due to his prior MI. And then carvedilol, which is a beta blocker for patients with heart failure, furosemide, which is a loop diuretic, which we've talked about, and then lisinopril, which is an ACE inhibitor, and then metformin, which would be for his diabetes. So this is a pretty typical uh, medication regimen for one, for someone who had a previous MI, which would be aspirin and atorvastatin, and then also someone who has heart failure. So typically someone with heart failure is going to be put on a beta blocker, a loop diuretic, and then very often an ACE inhibitor as well. The ACE inhibitor helps with blood pressure control. It also helps with renal protection as well. And then the loop diuretic obviously helps unload volume. And what happens in heart failure is you have a increased release of catecholamines, norepinephrine and epinephrine, and they can really stimulate the heart, not just heart rate, but also remodeling. So beta blockers help with that. Carvedilol is also nice because it has some alpha-1 receptor blockage, which also helps with blood pressure control. He's placed on supplemental oxygen and his dose of furosemide is increased. It's pretty typical. You know, this is pretty classic. These people come in, their volume overloaded. You right away, you increase uh, their home dose of diuretics and convert it to IV just to help get that extra fluid off of them. So this is pretty typical. Now, the question, though, is asking which of the following medications would be most appropriate to add to this patient's home regimen? So it's asking you which of these medications is most appropriate to add to better treat this patient's heart failure. And so he's already on a beta blocker, he's on a loop diuretic, he's on an ACE inhibitor. So you want to think about what's the next best drug to add to that to help further control this. Because clearly this isn't working. He's, he's, he's complying to it. You know, there's always the risk of non-compliance, but in this case, he's complying with his medications. So this regimen's not working, so we've got to change things up. We'll summarize the key findings here uh, briefly. This is an elderly man with congestive heart failure, secondary due to ischemic cardiomyopathy due to a previous MI, coupled with multiple additional cardiovascular risk factors, including hypertension and diabetes. He presents with acute dyspnea and hypoxia that is found to be due to decompensate heart failure on exam, due to the S3 bilateral lung uh, crackles, and then the pitting lower extremity edema. Chest x-ray also dem demonstrates pulmonary edema, and then he's also got elevated BNP on labs. Echo confirms a reduced LV ejection fraction, and the patient's compliant with a low-salt diet and his medication regimen, which, like I said, includes beta blocker therapy, a loop diuretic, and an ACE inhibitor. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break from the case right now to let you know that DaVinci Cases is brought to you by DaVinci Academy, which provides online video courses for the medical basic sciences. These courses are taught using a variety of teaching methods, including bullet point outlines, diagrams, radiology images, and chalk talks to explain the fundamental concepts. 
We then teach the application of those concepts to numerous clinical pearls that are frequently tested on medical school exams and the USMLE. Our video courses are available on our website, dviacademy.com, as monthly subscriptions starting at $9.99 per month. Each video course has a corresponding outline format textbook as well. You can find the link to our website in the description below. Also be sure to use the discount code DC20 to receive 20% off any of our video courses. Now back to the case. So if we come back to this diagram here, this is the nephron. Uh, we covered this in the previous DaVinci cases. So again, you have these different transporters that are targets of different classes of diuretic therapy. So the loop diuretics, those inhibit the sodium, potassium, and chloride co-transporter in the thick ascending limb. So that would be like furosemide with this patient is on. So he's already on that type of loop diuretic. Thiazide diuretics uh, inhibit sodium and chloride reabsorption in the distal convoluted tubule. And then there's the class of potassium sparing diuretics, which would include spironolactone and aplerinone, uh, which actually inhibit ENAC or sodium reabsorption within the collecting duct. The other thing we need to review here is to understand how to answer this question is the role of the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone axis in heart failure. So we've gone over this in a number of da Vinci cases, but we actually haven't looked at it in specifically in heart failure. So let's take a look here. So you have heart failure. That leads to decreased renal perfusion. The heart's not pumping as efficiently. You're not going to be getting as good of perfusion to the kidney as a result of that. Decreased renal perfusion due to heart failure physiologically in a way is the same thing as you know decreased effective circulating volume which is kind of the classic example used to explain this system so you have decreased renal perfusion due to heart failure that leads to triggering the release of renin renin goes and converts angiotensinogen to angiotensin 1 which then goes and is converted to angiotensin 2 by ace or angiotensin converting enzyme which is predominantly found in the pulmonary vasculature angiotensin 2 goes to the blood vessels and causes vasoconstrictin elevating blood pressure. Angiotensin II also goes to the adrenal gland and stimulates the synthesis and release of aldosterone. Aldosterone, if you recall, goes back to the kidney and increases sodium reabsorption and potassium secretion in the nephron. Now, in heart failure, this is all further increased. You know, this is kind of chronically elevated because there's no rebound from this. So the aldosterone will be extra elevated in addition to the other components of the system. So you have more aldosterone, you're going to have even more sodium reabsorption and more potassium secretion. So what does that lead to? It leads to sodium retention. Remember where sodium goes, water follows. So you're going to have that further contributes to the volume overload you see in heart failure. You're also, as a side effect of that, going to see hypokalemia because you're stimulating potassium secretion. In heart failure, like we said, you give ACE inhibitors because that helps kind of curtail this system by decreasing angiotensin II formation, which when downstream actually affect aldosterone formation, and then also affect uh, by decreasing angiotensin II, you decrease uh, vascular vasoconstriction, helping with blood pressure, but then also, like I said, it provides renal protection as well. The other thing is that you got to remember, aldosterone is a steroid hormone. So it's actually going to travel across, it's lipophilic, it'll travel across the plasma membrane and bind a cytosolic receptor called the aldosterone receptor. And so what that receptor does is then it's a steroid hormone receptor. So it actually stimulates at the gene level, uh, transcription and synthesis of sodium channels. So it increases sodium reabsorption. And so what you can do is give a drug that uh, inhibits the aldosterone receptor, which would an example of that would be spironolactone, which is part of those potassium sparing diuretics. So what, what ends up happening is, is you help with decreasing sodium reabsorption and potassium secretion, 
And so as a result of that, it actually helps. And they've actually shown in clinical trials that adding spironolactone to the regular heart failure regimen of a beta blocker, ACE inhibitor, loop diuretic, significantly reduces uh, mortality and morbidity. So this is actually a great drug to add on for patients with heart failure, especially if their current regimen is not working. And for this specific reason, that it helps with uh, decreasing volume overload. So if we come back to the question here, probably narrowed down what the answer is, but let's go through the answer choices just to further solidify what the correct answer is. So again, we're asking which of the following medications would be most appropriate to add to this patient's home regimen. Metoprolol. So metoprolol is a beta blocker. It's very commonly used. Uh, it's more commonly used for patients uh, such as with like atrial fibrillation or persistent tachycardia. Now, it's not the best drug. It can be helpful with blood pressure, but it's not as good actually as carvedilol. And the reason for that is, like I said, carvedilol also inhibits alpha-1 receptors, so that helps lower blood pressure. So this patient, again, is already on beta blocker therapy. Carvedilol is a better drug uh, typically for patients with heart failure and with hypertension. You're not going to add another beta blocker on top of that. Captopril, which is an ACE inhibitor. So this patient's already on ACE inhibitor. And again, the purpose of the ACE inhibitor is it lowers blood pressure and provides renal protection. There's no real benefit that's been demonstrated with adding another ACE inhibitor. You wouldn't really do that. Spironolactone, which is one of those potassium-sparing uh, diuretics, as we talked about, blocks the uh, synthesis of the ENAC channels, thus decreasing sodium reabsorption and water retention, also helps correct the hypokalemia. And when you add it to ACE inhibitors beta blocker therapy in patients with heart failure, it's actually demonstrated mortality improvement, like I said. Uh, so that looks like it's our answer. Hydrochlorothiazide, the patient's already on a loop diuretic. Addition of thiazide diuretics has just not been demonstrated to provide a significant clinical benefit. If the patient's already on a loop diuretic, there's no benefit to adding also a thiazide. Versus there has been, you know, like I said, trials that have demonstrated addition of spironolactone to helping with mortality and morbidity. So mannitol is actually an osmotic diuretic, which is kind of an interesting uh, mechanism of action. So versus kind of stimulating a receptor or, or blocking a transport or anything, it actually just itself is significantly increases the osmolarity of a certain fluid compartment. So it actually draws more fluid in, such as like a blood vessel, just bringing more fluid into that vessel to help, you know, essentially the patient pee off the extra fluid. And this is actually used to treat elevated intracranial or intraocular pressure. That's more where it's used. It's not really used in heart failure or volume overload. Uh, it's more used in those types of scenarios. So to summarize, this is a patient with congestive heart failure due to ischemic cardiomyopathy, secondary to a previous myocardial infarction. It comes in with hypoxia and volume overload due to decompensated heart failure and is getting, going to have spironolactone added to his uh, heart failure medication regimen of a beta blocker, ACE inhibitor, and loop diuretic to help further treat his clinical condition and hopefully improve his risk of morbidity and mortality. All right, that's all I have for you this time. Be sure to check out all the DaVinci Cases videos available on our YouTube channel and our website, dviacademy.com. The PDF notes for every DaVinci Cases is also available on our website. Also be sure to check out our podcast, The DaVinci Hour, where we interview attendings and residents across medicine to learn more about their experiences, their specialties, and to get their insights on navigating a career in medicine. You can find The DaVinci Hour podcast on our website or any platform where podcasts are found. Lastly, you can find all of our video courses and corresponding outline format books on our website. Don't forget to use the discount code DC20 for 20% off.